This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Jennifer Yuli Wells, Executive Director of Please Pass the Love, a nonprofit committed to providing school mental health supports. We're going to have an amazing conversation about this important topic as we continue to break the stigma around mental health. Okay, Jen. Well, thank you for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. Thanks for having me. I am so excited about this because this is a growing topic across the state. And to be quite honest with you, and and I know I'm speaking to the choir here, it could be the most important topic in education today. Absolutely. I mean, really, you can't do anything else in education unless you have kids' basic needs met. Mental health is absolutely one of those basic needs. So I really love that this is a growing conversation Mm -hmm. across the state. Mm -hmm. So I think on today's episode, I think it would be absolutely great and fascinating to give an overview on what schools can do regarding mental health services. And so what do people get wrong about mental health? Yeah. Yeah. Loaded question. Right. It's a big one. Um, I think one of the biggest pieces with mental health is the stigma. So people, how they've always understood mental health has been a really stigmatized view of mental health where, um, you know, people attach words like crazy, psycho, and those contribute to people not wanting to get the help. I think one of the other big pieces is that people assume that uh, especially our students have any more control over mental health than they their own mental health than they would asthma or diabetes, that it's not really a, a disorder of a body part, that it's just something that kids are making up, and if they just work harder or they focus more, then they'll be okay, and it's not. It's something just like if you have an asthma attack, you can't will it out of yourself. And so asking a kid, for instance, in class, just behave – that's asking a lot of some kids that, you know, their brains just aren't working the way that they should be. So I've heard you before talk about the invisibility of mental health. And I kind of think that's what you're alluding to a bit here in that we can't always see it or, or sometimes we think it's an easy fix or maybe we attribute certain behaviors but but don't really consider um, students or or individuals mental health yeah so it's kind of like we call it invisible disorder so our kids don't come in wearing signs that say I'm going through this I'm going you know this is happening and so when we talk about mental health sometimes those symptoms get called behaviors especially in schools and so I may have a kid that's showing up late I may have a kid with a lot of headaches and stomach aches I may have a kid that's misbehaving and I suddenly attach meaning and label to that kid that that's a naughty kid or a bad kid when in reality those may be some symptoms of something else going on or that they don't care Oh, yeah, that they're being lazy, that they're unmotivated, they just don't care about school, they're just disrespectful, all sorts of stuff. So give us the flip side to that. To? To, we know those things that we just said are not true. mm -hmm. So what are scenarios, um, how can, as say, you know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about school mental health here, so I'm a teacher or I'm an administrator in a building, 
what are ways that I can flip my thinking around that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big misnomers too with school mental health is that when we want to put the education and the knowledge in teachers' hands that for some reason we're trying to make them therapists. And and we know that's not any more true than when I do bloodborne pathogens that that would make me a nurse or a doctor, right? So knowledge, that's one of the first strategies, is empowering teachers and educators and getting that basic information in their hands because knowledge is power. And so when you have the knowledge and the understanding, then you're far more effective with with students. And then there's a bunch of different strategies. One of the big strategies is relationship building. You know, we take that back to the 101 of being a, a teacher. Sometimes we think that just because I coexist in a classroom with a student that that's relationship building and we know that it's not. And we know that that connectedness can really save lives and change lives of young people that have a lot of stuff on their plates, whether it's past traumas or mental illnesses or both. So let's talk about mental health first aid and let's start kind of basic mm -hmm. in what is it and what what can teachers, you know, what does it look like for, for teachers? Yeah, so there's two, well, there's actually three, but there's adult youth or adult mental health first aid, there's youth mental health first aid, and they, they just came out with a teen mental health first aid that's being piloted across the nation and there's actually at least a couple of spots in Iowa that it's being piloted at. The, the one that we encourage teachers to take is, is Youth Mental Health First Aid. It's an eight-hour course. Uh, in that course, they learn basic mental health information. So what what might anxiety look like? What might depression look like? Uh, what are some of the biological causes, environmental triggers? What are some of the, just the general information so that as an educator walking into a classroom where in the past I may have seen some behaviors and uh, created meaning on those based on what I was assuming now I have some knowledge and I can make more of an informed assessment of what might be happening with students. That said, none of these classes are teaching educators to be therapists or to diagnose anything, but it just really help, helps to, to broaden our understanding so we can be more effective with kids. Do you think that that is one of the things that is, is difficult for teachers without knowing um, of what mental health first aid is you know we talk a lot about school mental health and it's a lot of the unknown not knowing what to do and I think that's an important distinction that you bring up is what we're asking teachers to do and what we're not asking teachers to do mm -hmm. um, can you dive even maybe a little bit more into that in that we're not asking them to be therapists Mm, absolutely not. You couldn't pay me enough money to be a therapist. I'm a career educator yeah. and I love, love teaching. Um, what I could not do or would not be successful at would be doing therapy with kids. Yeah. But what I know that I need to be if successful if I'm going to teach any young person my content, whether that's reading or science or math, I have to have the best version of them sitting in my classroom. And sometimes they don't come with that. And so when I can recognize symptoms to pretend, perhaps tell parents um, so that they can get help, when I can be my be best self as a teacher because I understand better what they might be going through. And so in the past when I would say, that kid is just disrespectful, they're lazy, they don't want to try in my class, then when I shift that, I find myself more effective because then I'm able as an educator to use a totally different approach, not just with my kids that I know that need the help, 
but all of my kids because I become more compassionate when I suddenly understand that I have a kid that's suffering in silence in my classroom, um, it, but it's just a, an organ that I can't see or it's an organ that I just don't understand those symptoms as well. So when I start to get that, it makes me far more effective as a, as a teacher. So I want to shift a little bit. I did a story over the summer about an elementary, a family and an elementary school student who had anxiety about going to school and it turned into full on school refusal. Mm -hmm. And I actually sat in uh, on a meeting with the mom and they're a great family. They have three kids and with our superintendent, I sat in on this meeting and the amount of effort that it took for her to reconcile what was happening in her family it just took a lot and she was very empowered by working with the school i mean she made both the superintendent and i cry in in the meeting because it, it turned into a success story but the stigma was so strong for her for a while and now she's using it as an empowering thing are you seeing that more across communities or how strong is the stigma still around around school mental health mental health in general right so as a fam as families try to approach this journey it is very different than um, going to get a child help for let's say asthma so I can take my child to the doctor they've got some coughing and wheezing uh, the doctor says you need to have your child have nebulizer treatments and you need an inhaler. Mm -hmm. At no point do I go and share that with my friends and somebody goes, oh my gosh, your child has asthma. They need an inhaler. That's very similar to the experience people have when they try to get their children help for mental health or they fear that that's going to be people's responses yeah. because mental health is so not understood and a lot of for instance a lot of the legislative ag advocacy i do i still have um, members of the house and the senate that think mental health is just bad parenting or they think that it's um you know people haven't done what they were supposed to be doing in terms of discipline or they didn't love their children enough and so as a parent when you know that these narratives are out there you yeah. start to get really squeamish then the next part is is if my child has a mental illness then i start to in my head go did i cause it what did i do did, was it was it bad parenting did i not do enough of this or should i have done more of this so parents know going into it that it's not the same as going to get your child help because they have croup or they had the flu or they have a cold because people just don't understand that mental illness is a, is a brain disorder. And so, yeah. so, yes, across the community, that is very common that people are very stigmatized. So then we see families delaying getting help. Um, we see families that when they do go get help or try to get help, they have a lack of services, and then so they get frustrated, they feel hopeless. Yeah. And then especially that dynamic then with families and schools. So schools historically have not been places that have understood and received mental illness well. And so families then historically mm -hmm. have typically um, 
develop some bad relationships or misunderstandings with schools, especially if their child has been notoriously the kid that's been in trouble and have sure. some of those externalizing behaviors. And so then families are really reluctant to share that information with schools. They're very reluctant to share that information yeah. with teachers. So one of the things I recommend to families is if, or to schools, if you're working with families and you know a child has a diagnosis, try to get a release with a mental health professional for the purpose of exchanging data, but so you can get those good strategies too. Yeah. A lot of times though, we have to recognize that families, because of that distrust, they won't give us that access. And so another strategy is to say, instead of a release, will you just talk to your child's therapist or psychiatrist and get us a list of strategies that would be beneficial for us to be using here in the schools. Yeah. And then we can get some of that great expertise to help enhance what we're doing in the, in the schools. So one of the great things that I loved about um, the story that we did this past summer mm -hmm. is that it was a month before they really reached out to the school for mm -hmm. help. It was call in every day. My student's not going to be in today. And, and you know, and, sh and she told me this, you know, that started to eat away at her. And, you know, she started to wonder whether she was a good mom. And, you know, together they were good parents. And eventually, and yeah. I get it. And mm -hmm. in, in many ways, it's, it's heart-wrenching. But when she reached out to the school, the school handled it very well. They started to work with her. They got a re-entry plan. They started working with other professionals. And today we can look at it as a success story. Awesome. But that's, yeah, but that's not always the case for all the reasons that... Um, you gave. Yeah. So if we knew, um, if we could be a fly on the wall with a lot of our kids, um, especially kids that are engaging in school refusals, it's so much more common than we realize. Yeah. Anxiety is a total bear. When I was teaching at the middle school, I'll never forget, I had two young women, two young women that would come late to my homeroom. And I remember the lens I first used with them was, why aren't you here? You should be here. You need mm -hmm. to be here, even though we weren't really doing anything that was exceptional. And um, eventually I switched my lens and I remember saying to one of them, why aren't you getting here on time? Because in my head I'd created a narrative. You yeah. know, she's just sleeping in, she's yep. just taking her time, maybe she's going to get some junk food at the corner store before she comes. When I'd asked her though, she said, if I sleep the night, then I usually don't get to bed till 4.30. Or if I typically don't sleep and um, or I sleep until 4.30 and then I wake up and I can't get back to sleep and then I have these really severe headaches and I'm throwing up in the morning, her anxiety was so great to come to school, that thought had never crossed my mind. And I had created this narrative that was really damn It could have been so much more dangerous and damaging yeah. had I not taken the time to talk to her. So what we see are tons of families. We don't understand sometimes what happens outside of our school confines. Right. And sometimes, unfortunately, because mental health is so stigmatized, families, their first um, thought is not, well, shoot, I'll just go to the school and see if they can help me. Right. Because we typically know schools aren't places that are equipped or even understand mental health themselves. Yeah. So that's awesome to hear that there was such a great success story with one of your yeah. students. What are students, and I, and I frame this question thinking about high school students, what are they dealing with today? Oh, my God. That is different than, you know, what we had when we grew up. Yeah. So teen stress has always been a thing, yeah. I, I think. But I think as society continues to go, this this competition piece, you know, schools uh, typically um, 
in the past have really pushed young people to go to college. I think mm-hmm. society has done that. Yeah. It's good to see that we have some uh, schools that are, are branching out and looking at more career trade options too. Yeah. But with colleges, colleges are more expensive. And with that, uh, scholarship money, grant money, some of that has also gone away. So we have young people that um, to be you know, competitive for some of that money are doing some extreme things. You know, they're participating in like every sport, every club. They're really trying to knock themselves out because they want to be competitive. So when you go to graduation and you see some kids that have, you know, all this bling around their necks, you have to ask yourself sometimes what sacrifice, you know, what cost did some of that come at? So, so we have this the stress piece of, of college, we have the stress piece of for some kids work, but then we also have uh, this piece of the social media piece too. So one of the things that I am always so grateful for is that I didn't have social media when I was younger. Me too. Yeah, and I know our young people don't understand when we say that, yeah. but you know, I could go to school and especially middle school. For me, that was brutal. And I felt, I don't know that it was bullying, but as much as sometimes people would say something or they'd make fun of you or you were the brunt of a joke. Well, I could go home then and have safety away from that and hope that they forgot about it the next day. Our young people now, that joke can suddenly become viral on the internet and it's following you. And then what the other piece that we're seeing and there was a great study, a couple of studies that have come out in the last year. One that said that young people, the amount of time that they're on social media, especially at night, is impacting sleep. And we know that sleep is necessary for good mental health. Yeah. And then another study was just released a week or two ago that said um, young people that are on social media three or hour, three hours or more a night, uh, we're seeing an increased likelihood of internalizing behaviors. So that can be depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, self-injury, uh, a bunch of stuff. And so um, we know, unfortunately, because social media has not been around all that long that we don't have all this great research yet but as we continue to build on the research we know that kids that are on things excessively the impact isn't positive no it can't be Mm -hmm. are we in the midst of and i'm thinking about school mental health and, and education are we in the midst of reframing how we have to look at education and and look at students or are we in the midst of that Yeah, so one of the things I like to tell people is the model we use for education now is a circa early 20th century. It's a factory model of education. You know, you need to come in, get these rote skills so you can go into a factory. You need to be able to follow directions. um, Really basic kind of stuff. School now is needs to be very different to meet the industry need. It's technologically advanced, collaboration. Yeah. You need to have social skills, especially when we just talked about social media, takes away some of those social skills. Mm-hmm. So school not only um, hopefully is ch- t- uh, changing the tide, it definitely needs to be. It has to be an absolute that we as educators have to be going what we have done in the past as times change, it can't always be working for the future. And that really marries itself perfectly for our social emotional needs. So we yeah. have an epidemic in Iowa. Uh, suicide is the second leading cause of death for our young people. Um, it's not getting any better. In fact, when we look nationally, the trend is going, unfortunately, north for suicide. Mm. But Iowa is already above that. Yeah. And our trajectory is going faster and farther than it it absolutely should be. So we know that we have an epidemic. 
um, Iowa in 2019. Finally, we have a children's uh, mental health system that hasn't been funded yet. So in theory, we have a great you know, things that are to come, and I hope that they're going to come. Yeah. We desperately need them to come, but all of that takes time. And so mm-hmm. while that stuff is being set up, schools, they house most of the kids. So school mental health is taking schools that have the kids in mental health expertise, and how do we put these together in ways that teachers aren't therapists, but how can we be focusing some of what we're doing on social-emotional learning? Because if you ask teachers what do you want for your students you very rarely will get a teacher that goes I want them to be rich you know I really hope that that paper that they did is really the thing that drives them usually they say things like I want them to be happy healthy functional adults I want to make a difference for them and I'm willing to do whatever it takes and so when we know that teachers are willing to do that giving them the knowledge giving them the skills and giving them the strategies to tweak Sometimes it is just that mind shift. You know, when you can just kind of change the lens that you're using as a teacher, suddenly those kids that we've always called bad or naughty, and we look at them as maybe symptomatic of something else going on, Mm -hmm. that really starts to change how we then engage with those kids. How are we motivating those kids? How are we working with those kids? And then it puts the onus back on us as adults, too, versus young people just figure it out, just do better, be better, whatever that is. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important as educators that we understand or at least try to put ourselves in students' positions and understand the reality of things. Because, you know, as as an adult, it can be, you know, I didn't grow up with social media and neither Mm -hmm. did you. And it's easy to say, well, you know, just spend less time on social media at night. Well, that's, that's not the reality of, of yeah. teenage life today. And there are some students, and you alluded to it, who they may work until midnight or and, and yeah. are helping care for their family. And that's their reality, and we need to understand that. Right, and you brought up a really good point because sleep, a lot of times that is a narrative we use. Like, yeah. wake up in my class, stop playing video games, stop being right. on your social media. Yeah. When we know that actually sleep disruption is one of the biggest symptoms of a mental health issue. Uh, And so we always want in those situations, you know, to be thinking about is this kid staying up late playing video games just because they want to do that or they lay in bed for hours on end and they can't sleep. So eventually they get up and do something until they can fall asleep because it's a really different uh, experience than when you shift your lens and look at a kid um, with a with a mental health or a trauma sensitive lens. One, uh, a mutual colleague of ours, I was talking with him about mental health, and he said one of the things that, and I think this comes from the mental health first aid, is looking for changes in mm-hmm. students. And can you speak more yeah. to that? So you have to know what a student looks like when they're on to know what a student's going to look like when they're off. Yeah. And so it's about being really intentional with that relationship building. And so thinking about relationships building in three phases. One is establishing those relationships, maintaining those relationships, and then using a restorative approach. So how do I apologize to a kid if I've messed up? Yeah. How do I keep those relationships intact? Again, we can't just coexist in a space with students and just think, well, I mean, I kind of think I know what they look like on versus off. One of the best activities that I always challenge educators to do uh, to collect data is at any given day, you just ask your kids to get out a sheet of paper and write down the name of an uh, adult they trust in the building and to be able to write, I don't trust anybody if they don't. 
what we usually find is that adults are surprised at how many kids don't have adults that they trust. Oh. Hopefully, yeah. many of your kids, most of your kids do, but those kids that don't have anybody, that that's a recipe of disaster waiting to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Because what if then they don't have anybody at home? What if they don't feel like they have strong friend networks too? Who is that young person going to go to when things get bad? Because we know being a teenager is challenging. Yep. We know that they're going to need help and direction. But if they don't feel like they have somebody they can go to, that's an issue. So we have to know what students look like when they're in a good place to know what they're going to look like when they are maybe feeling more recluse. They're isolating away from friends. They're not enjoying things that they once enjoyed. But if we don't know those things to begin with, we're going to have a hard time knowing when they're wrong. So there are a lot of myths when it mm -hmm. comes to first aid. And you um, mentioned a few stats already about mm -hmm. suicide in yeah. teenagers on the rise. Mm -hmm. Here's a myth, and okay. I want you to talk about it. Youth who threaten suicide just want attention. Right. So if those youth, if we have ever have a youth that threatens suicide, that tells us that something isn't right. So yeah, if somebody wants that attention, we absolutely want to give them that attention. And we want to make sure that a mental health professional teases out what's reality and, and what isn't. Um, because one of the worst things ever, especially as an educator, is to just go kids doing it for attention yeah. and then god forbid something happens that night and even from attention they could um, hurt or uh, or kill themselves here's another one mm -hmm. suicidal youth are intent on dying no that's a, absolutely a myth so uh, young people or anybody that has suicidal ideation doesn't want to die they want the pain to be over we call it suicidal ambivalence uh, but one of the things that we need to make sure as adults is that we're providing those networks for those young people and those trusting relationships so that they feel they don't feel that sense of hopelessness. They feel like they have somebody that's in it to win it with them. It's an incredible way to reframe that whole topic. Yeah. If I talk about it with them, I'll plant a seed in their mind. Right. Yeah. That we hear that. I hear that with administrators across the state of Iowa. And for the record, that's a myth. It's absolutely yeah. a myth. Uh, we know that kids as young as five, I mean, preschool kids sometimes will say those things. Like I just said, the pain is there. Yeah. So young people that don't feel like or aren't able to get the help that they need, they don't feel supported. They have that hopelessness they eventually can act on things. So as adults, when we say they're, we're planting the seed, we're not. The seed's already there. So as adults, then we have a choice to make. Are we going to be the gatekeepers to getting them the help they need? Or are we going to hope that the same kids that can't get their homework out of their backpack and get it turned in are going to somehow navigate the system of crisis yeah. um, when they're in it? That's just absolutely ludicrous. As you know, We'd start wrapping up already. It's flying by already. Gosh. I know. I know. It feels like we just got here. We did, we did <laughs> just get here. So I want you to share something amazing from your world of education. Yeah. So here's one of the coolest things that because I get to work across the state with schools that um, just like Ames are doing these amazing, amazing things. Um, two quick stories. One is one of the um, a principal not that far from here um, has really dedicated school mental health as being a priority in their community. They made sure that all their high school students had the suicide crisis numbers programmed into the phone. Last time I was there, he pulled me aside and said, I just want to let you know that last week the sheriff pulled up. We had a young woman that had texted the crisis line in the middle of school. So we were able to get her the help that we need. So we don't 
we don't um, keep data on the lives we save, yeah. but we absolutely know that we are saving lives. And then another quick story too, we had a young uh, teen that we trained and she's a youth leader for Please Pass the Love. And so we do some of this youth mental health kind of stuff. And she had a young person that reached out to her that was in a bad place and she knew what to do and she was able to get him the help that he needed. So she saved a life too. So I think my biggest victory or my biggest takeaway from this is that when we do these things it isn't always a perfect science but we don't necessarily know the impact but we know that it's there yeah doing nothing we know what the results of that are yeah so even the smallest things sometimes can have the most em- enormous impact and so that's really exciting well thank you so much for Thanks being for on this episode me. we can totally do this again because i think we've only scratched the surface yeah, on this topic so, so we but we need to keep talking about it absolutely well thanks for having me absolutely so to everyone listening we hope that you like what you heard today and would love for you to share this podcast with others and if you feel inclined leave a review on itunes or wherever you're listening to this having reviews allows us to be heard by more people. So thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast.